And we are into the second Sunday in our One Another series. We have uh, 10 more community group curriculum coming to my house tomorrow, and I think three of them are spoken for. I will be the delivery man uh, tomorrow if I do get them, going to the people who have purchased them. If you would like to still get that, we would love for you to. And uh, a lot of people are going, hey, well, does my wife and I will just share one. And that's fine. You can absolutely share one. Um, you can show up to group and just, uh, you know, ride the coattails of other people as well. Like, that's all, that's all fine, but it's good to kind of sit there and have your own stuff to mark. We mark different things, and we have different conversations. So if you want to grab that, certainly can, and I will try to deliver it to your house sometime before your group. But if your group's on Sunday, today, probably not going to happen because I don't have it yet. But there is, uh, there's much to come in this series, and we are in the preparation phase. We are through sermons 1, 2, we worked on 3, 4. And so, like, kind of knowing where we're headed in this series, uh, it's going to be lit. Is that what we say? It's going to be lit. Um, it's how it feels. So, I have found myself, even in preparation, sometimes appropriately uncomfortable. We're going, golly, this is like, this is a lot. This is something God asked of us. The whole theme really is God has expectations for his entire church and ways he wants congregations to operate, ways he wants believers to interact together, ways he wants for them to care and to share and to love. And so that's where we are. Now, to the kids in the room, you don't have to yell out at me, but I'm just going to run a couple of scenarios by you and you tell me what you think. Um, Let's hear, like, if your mom says to your dad, hey, I'd really like it if you could get the kids from school today. I'm kind of swamped. And, you know, so could you please pick them up? I can't get it done. And dad says, I love you. And that's it. No reciprocation of what, what you know, what was been, been asked. But just goes, hey, I love you. I just want you to know I love you. How would that go, kids? Joe, would that feel loving? You say, yeah? Okay, cool. Um, how about this one? You have a friend in the hospital and they'd appreciate a visit. You know they would. They'd go, I'd really like to see you. They'd appreciate a visit. And, um, and so instead of that, you just record a voice memo. <clears throat> you say, hey, Joan, this is Hans. I just wanted to let you know that I love you. Have a great day. Hope your open heart surgery goes well. Loving or unloving? unloving. Thank you. <laughs> Church life, someone in your community group shares. They say, you know, money's tight, and we can make it. We're going to eat beans and rice for the next few days, but we're going to really have to, like, tighten up, and, and it's going to be hard for us. And the group leader goes, thank you so much for sharing that. Listen, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to just uh, praise God for your transparency, and we're going to see you next week. Not the kindest approach As Christians, we know something about love that the world doesn't know. The thing about love that Christians know is that it is demonstrated more than it should be just declared. We know something that is qualitatively different about love because of the work of Jesus. We know what God wants for his church, and we know the change that has happened in our hearts that actually allows for that to exist, a different kind of love. 
In fact, if you're here today and you know Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, then you know the most significant demonstration of love that has ever existed, which is the sacrifice of the Son of God for sinful men and women. And that becomes the base. We saw that in John 13 last week. That becomes the base. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the way it is supposed to look. It's always what is there. The question is, how does knowing Jesus change our love? How does knowing Jesus change our love? Now, this is going to feel for many of us probably like the most basic sermon. Like, I don't need this, you know, I don't need this kind of sermon. I don't need this kind of approach. The most basic sermon. But I think when we comprehend what's going on in 1 John chapter 3, we might go, golly, this is something God really does expect of me. And he even gives, the Spirit through John, even gives ways that it should look. Love. How does knowing Jesus change our love? There are kind of three movements that we will see in this. First is the biggest chunk, 11 through 15, that knowing love, uh, seeing love as a matter of life and death. That's the first idea. The second idea is that love is uh, shown more than it is spoken or merely spoken. And then the third is that love provides assurance. Those three things, life and death. Shown, not spoken, and provides assurance. Now, we're going to get into something right from the jump in First John, which is perhaps one of the more difficult passages or books to interpret. First John doesn't make it easy on us, even though there's a lot of passages that we probably know from First John or themes that we know from John and into First John. But that shouldn't scare us. We'll get into it and go, let's go to First John 3. First John, written... More than likely by the Apostle John. He, he gets John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. He has that. Luke goes, got you beat, buddy. And that's okay. They're probably talking in heaven, working on who had the most words. Luke wins. He beats Paul. He beats John. <clears throat> he beats the author of Hebrews. He beats them all. But the first thing that we see in love being a matter of life and death is the command. That's verse 11. Because we have no screen behind me, uh, you just have to use what's before you. 1st John Chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John 13, Jesus gives it a new command because he becomes the foundation for it, the way it's supposed to look. The idea being, you've heard this now. We know that love should always be there. It's in the Hebrew scriptures, as love is always there. But we know now, because of the work of Jesus and the church that has been formed, that, that this is something that you should always be living out and abiding in, that we should love one another. The Christian message has always been about love. There has never been a time that love was then added to how we should act towards one another. But then he contrasts love and hate, love and hate, with Cain and Abel. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. This is a passage every parent uses in sibling disputes. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, one offered a first fruit sacrifice and one offered a sacrifice and God looked on the one, not the other. One brother got mad, kills his own brother. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
Now, I'm jumping into 1 John 3, so we're going, what's going on here? Well, in the letter, the congregation in 1 John is dealing with people who have come in, taught falsely about God, perhaps even proclaimed that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Misled, didn't serve, didn't love, went out and didn't come back. Now, you can imagine if influential people come into a church, and you have to think back in first century, like they don't just go to the church down the road, they don't just, you know, grab another podcast or something else to listen to, they don't have a copy of the scriptures in their own that they can just take home and read in the morning, and so the heightened dependence that they must have on one another, and we really should have the same dependence, but it kind of gets drowned out by the access to other things, but the heightened dependence that they would have on gathering together and caring for one another and hearing God's word and lifting one another up, all of that that would happen becomes pretty important. So if you have a whole faction of people who are saying things about who Jesus is that is actually false, and they're not actually living the command to love, you can understand how that would cause a bit of damage in a church. It would cause a lot of issues, and they need some reassurances about who God is and what God has called them to. Now, John is writing this so that the congregation there knows they belong to Jesus. And he's beginning to give them illustrations of what belonging to Jesus would look like. And he's really doing this to contrast those who came in and went out and didn't come back. And those who are still there. Those who came out and didn't come back and those who are still there. And he wants them to know. The whole letter is about assuring the congregation there that they are in the Lord. He's not trying to cause confusion for them. And I want us to know that as we go into it. Because the way he's going at it can confuse us if we're not anchored in how Jesus changes us, okay? And so if we're not anchored in how Jesus changes us, we read this and go, oh gosh, so if I X, then I don't belong to Jesus anymore. We'll view ourselves as in and out and in and out and in and out of the faith. So we need to, we need to hold on to that. And so he says, we shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother because his deeds were evil and the others were righteous. Do not be surprised that the world hates you. John always has this distinction between the believer and the world. And Jesus even instructs his disciples that the world's coming at you. It's going to be different than you. Its systems are different than you. The things it loves are different than the things that Christians should love. The ways it operates and the things it exalts are different. So don't be surprised. He's just repeating his Savior. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. He's doing this to put a distinction between those false teachers who were in and the congregation who is there. Now, here's the other idea. Remember, love is a matter of life and death. What do I mean by that? A demonstration of Christ-like love, I'll, I'll even use the word proves that we belong to him. It proves that we belong to him. It doesn't prove it, it proves it to God. It's a demonstration of love, and that is, shows a transformation that exists. Now, before we run too far down this, give me, give me just a moment. So, verses 14 and 15, we know that we have passed out of death into life, we know that we've made this transfer because we love the brothers. You hear that? We have knowledge and assurance that we have moved from death to life because we love. He's even assuming the congregation there loves. He's, he's, he's assuming it. We know we've done this because we love. Because we love. 
Everyone, this is where we get confused, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is where we can get confused, because so we'll go, if I get really angry, if I blow up, if I, what, if I do something toward another Christian, am I now not a Christian? That's sometimes the way we could read it, and it can spook us. If I, if I yell, if I raise my voice, if I'm rude to my spouse, if I'm rude to my kids, if I'm rude to a friend, if I'm rude to somebody who cuts me off in traffic, they had it coming. But does that mean I don't have eternal life abiding in me? Now, abiding is a key theme in John. Abiding, remaining, staying. I'm going to give you a bit of a spectrum, okay? So there, there's going to be a split here, and I'm going to tell you where I land. Not that you have to land there, but I'll tell you why. There's a split here where some people go, I think what he's saying is he's, he's challenging them up to love so that we can really live out the life that God has for us, okay? Like, that's, that's one thing. And, and he's trying to get them to root out any frustration or hatred that exists. So get, get rid of that. That's one thing, one way that it could happen. So in the best case scenario, John is saying your behavior, behavior, like I'm, like I'm a Brit now, oh, you are behavior, that's how the, this Bible is anglicized. That's what made me think about it. Your behavior is not in keeping with your Savior, and so it's got to change. That's the best case scenario, okay, like that he's setting up. And on the other side is this. Believer, because you love, you should know you belong to God. So one kind of puts you on shaky ground of, oh gosh, like I, I better not be unloving, which we all know that's the case. And the other side goes, I want you to know you belong to him. I want you to know you belong to him because you love, because you're, you're different. That, tra- that transition, that exists. Best case scenario, you're a misguided Christian. Worst case scenario is you don't belong to God in the first place, and that's, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? I actually, when it comes down to it, I lean more toward the second, that John's trying to go, these people outside here who came in and destroyed the world for you, they don't belong to us. And you know they don't belong to us because they, they didn't come back. They didn't proclaim Jesus as coming in the flesh. They, they don't worship him and they don't serve him. They're totally and wholly unloving. And that's not you. This is the same guy who later goes, I want you, I write this so that you may know you have life. I want you to know it. So he's writing this to them to go, don't, don't think you hate, you love. You've been changed. Now, where might I, I get that idea? John's always providing assurance. There's two big things he wants to have happen, and you see this in the passage. The profession of faith of Jesus coming in the flesh, number one, and two, love for one another. These are the two big anchor points for John in this epistle. If you proclaim something about Jesus, believe, testify to something, and live in a certain way, that shows that you belong. There's a contrast there, but there's also another passage. Now, you don't have to go there unless you want to. This doesn't like, make the case ironclad for what I'm saying, but it does show why I land where I do. John 5, 24. <clears throat> this is the gospel of John, not the epistle. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That but has passed idea is the same one John uses here in 1 John 3, 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love. This can spook us, and the reason it spooks us is because so often in our circles, faith is seen as is oddly and almost exclusively intellectual. And so, so it's like, well, we have to believe true things. And John says that in his epistle. Yes, you must believe true things. And the transformed person who believes true things lives in a certain way. They, they come together. <clears throat> I belong to Courtney. I'm the father of three boys. Those things are true constantly. They do not change. People who belong to Jesus love it is part of a demonstration of our life in Christ. As water is wet, Christians love. This is why we say love is a matter of life and death. This is less about going around and going, hey guys, like, like we should be more loving, but it's, it's about recognizing what God's already put in the transformed person. It already exists for you. Your inclination, because of the Spirit of God, is that you would love. The flesh can screw that up. Your own habits can screw that up. Your lack of walking with the Lord can screw that up. But it is not the Lord's fault. Because the spirit he has put in you yearns to demonstrate Christ-like love to everybody. Yearns for it. It's not God's problem if we don't love. In the sense that he, he created it. It's our problem. Because we're not realizing what God has already put in us. We, we even sometimes remove the capacity of the Holy Spirit to live powerfully through us. That exists for every Christian. That power to live that out. So then what happens? Because I'm sure there are times. I'm saying here, love shows you belong to Jesus that you've been changed. The demonstration of it. Well, what happens if we aren't being loving? It is not, this is the difference, I'm not making a character or, or identity statement about you. In, in a sense, it is impossible to convict a brother or a sister of hatred down into their core. You can correct unloving behavior. You can correct ungraciousness. You can correct a lack of abiding in the Lord. You can, you can correct not listening and submitting to the Spirit. You can correct all of these things, but you can't go down in your core. You are something. Because John goes, no, 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 you've been changed, and you love. That's why we, I don't want you to leave this and go, oh, gosh, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad week, I'm having a bad month. I might even be having a bad year. But keep going back to the source. Keep going back to the Lord. Keep going back to him and seeing and reminding yourself of how he has made us. It's another reason that I just personally, I just personally go, sometimes we don't have to feel like we should love somebody to do it. Right? We talked about that last week where it's like, hey, I'll love you if you love me. And that's not where it goes. The, the command exists, as John says in verse 11, the command exists regardless of one's current longing. My longing might be all kinds of sideways in any given moment, so yours might too. You're feeling the wrong thing, you want to do the wrong thing, you're angry, you're hostile, you're tired, you're grumpy, you're lazy. All these things could exist in you. 
It doesn't remove the command. Nor does it remove the spirit that has a longing and a desire. Now let's not forget what Jesus said in John 13. The whole world is going to know you're my disciples if you love. So this is also a proclamation of God's transformation in our hearts. Now, all right, we'll pause here. We think of this in the sacrifice of Jesus as, okay, well, I need to be willing to die. I need to be willing to die for my church. I need to be willing to die for anybody. I need to go, I'm I'm ready to be a martyr. Yes, yes. Okay, absolutely true. But it's interesting that John and Paul don't actually use that as their their kind of foundational idea of what love is. They're almost like, it's easy to die for people you like, right? Like, that's easy, that, that, like, that's small potatoes. It's easy to do that. What John then does is shows down in the crevices of life, down in the day-to-day, this is what love looks like, which is bananas to me because he doesn't bring it up to this be ready at every second to die, like, you know, take a bullet for him, which is probably also included, but he actually brings it down into a specific illustration in the nooks and crannies of our life. That's where the gospel goes, and that's what the gospel transforms. This is where we say that second idea, that love is shown. Showing love is greater than speaking love. I don't say, you know, you don't, don't, please don't go home and kids go to your parents and go, I'm never going to tell you I love you ever again. I'm just going to do stuff for you. Don't do that. Communicating love, showing affection in words and deeds, all good. But he's going to then show you what laying down your life looks like. And it doesn't look like taking a bullet. That's That's what's peculiar here. Look at verses 16 through 18. By this, he's about to point to this. By this idea that's coming, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay, death to self, dying for others, doing what's good for others, got that. Now he's going to show. But if anyone has the world's goods, has any type of means, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, shuts up his entrails, right? Has nothing to do with it. Walls go up, everything happens, If you see that, how does God's love abide, exist within him? Again, I I really do feel like he's showing, like, almost irony here. Like, that wouldn't happen for the Christian. It's like, well, what if the water showed up and wasn't wet? Like, it's it's not, it doesn't happen. This is the demonstration of self-sacrificing love. If I have something you need that I can provide for you, and you need it, you get it. That's, that's how he illustrates love. If somebody has a need and you have the ability to meet that need and you don't meet that need, how is that loving? Like that's way different than just be ready to lay down your life because it's actually the hardest thing to do because you have to part with something you might love. You have, you're going to have to recognize that your own fleshly desires want to hold on when the gospel says let go. 
You're going to have to go have a conversation late at night or early in the morning. You're going to have to hear what's going on with somebody. Like all of these things are going to have to show up because you have the ability to meet it. See a need, meet a need. That's what gets so weird for us is because we go, oh, man, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I will die for you. I'm like, yeah, but would you mow my lawn? Like, I don't need somebody to die for me. Like, like, that, like that's, that's, that's up here. Like, I need groceries. Like, that's actually what I need. I need air in the tires. Tires rotated. Like, I, I, take a bullet for me. That's going to really ruin your family. I don't, really, I don't really want that. So, no, I don't. <laughs> that's not what I'm needing right now. I'm needing you, I'm needing your presence, I'm needing your attention. That's why he says, little children, verse 18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the conversation I have with my boys fairly regularly, and they just roll their eyes. Uh, my, my kids love me a lot. They go, are you preaching today? I said, I am. And he was like, aw. I don't like when you preach. I like when other people preach. I said, me too. (laughs) I'll say to my kids this phrase. Do you know I love you? Do you know I love you? And they'll say yes. And I'll go, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know I love you? Because the most angry, hostile person in the world can say, I love you every time. And you would go, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Why? Well, the why is right there. Because he says, let us not love in word or talk. Talk is cheap, as we might say. Action and in truth. Deed and in truth. That is what loving actually is. And it's not just service projects. The marker of love is Christ, the standard bearer. The example given is meeting the physical needs of a brother. God has given to you and you don't help a brother in need, but instead close up. How can God's love be in you? This might be lunch with a friend in need, grocery money for a family on hard times, clothing for kids starting school. It could be all of those types of things. Here's another one it could be to do this. Somebody needs a job. And you need an employee. And you think they'd be a good fit. If you can employ somebody who needs a job and there is that fit, right? Don't just employ bad employees. That's not what I'm saying. Offer it. I have a job. This this is how I got my first ministry job. Went back to my old church and said, I'm having a heck of a time finding a job. Courtney was pregnant. We were telling our apartment complex, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to be done. We're going to give you uh, our 30-day notice. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. I was actually trying to become a school teacher. I had passed two certification tests with the state of Texas to become a a middle school or a high school teacher. The fourth to eighth grade generalist, which is like the shoe-in, right? Who wants to teach fourth through eighth grade? Crazy people. And so I was like, give me that. I'll do that. And then high school speech. I was actually a speech major in college. A high school speech. Give me that one too. And passed both, met with a principal at an intermediate school. My friend was at a young church. I said, here's what I'm going to do, dude. I'm not even going to work at a church. I'm going to go work as a teacher and, and do that. 
I went on a phenomenal interview. The principal ended with me. I can really see you being a good fit here. The principal went to the church that I was going to go help out at. I was like, this is like, this is gone pecan. This thing is done. Sign, seal, deliver. I have my direction. So I'm going to graduate with a four-year master's degree and go be a school teacher. And it's for training in ministry. I was like, who cares? Whatever. It's just a degree. Let's go. Then she emails me and it's like, eh, it's not you, bro. She didn't say it like that, but that's how my heart took it. <laughs> you're, not, you're not that guy. I think that's what she said. You're not that guy, bro. And now I'm done. So what do I do? I go back to the church I went to in Louisiana. And I said, hey, listen, I've sent out some applications. I'm having conversations. You know anybody? You kind of go to your people you know. And they said, we do have a position. We're not sure if you're the right fit. That's every job I've ever had. So we do have a position. We're not sure you're the right fit, but let's, let's give it a run. And it was actually that. Me just going, I'll take a job. I'll just take a job. You want me to go back to Baton Rouge? I'm in. You want me to move somewhere else? I'll do that too. Ethan, he wouldn't have cared. He was in utero. Like, like, like what's the difference to him? So I was looking like north, south, east, west. I just went back to somebody and said, and they said, are you, do you have anything? And he's like, I'm not sure you're the guy for what we're looking for, but let's try it. And that's what got me started, so to speak. If we have what somebody else needs, let's give it. I quipped to a friend one time. I said, I'll buy your truck from you. He's like, I already sold it for less to somebody who needed it more. And I was like, well, I don't like you anymore. Right? Like, like that's, that's kind of what, that's what shows up in you, right? Like, like, look, can I prove to you that I need it more than the other person who got it? I don't even know what their situation is. They could have been like single mom, single dad, but let me just tell you. Because that's what gets all screwy in the middle, right? Still is me. That's what love is. I have something you need. You have a need. Here you go. Now, we're going to bring all these things to the table when we say that. Well, what about boundaries? And what about this? And what about that? And I, I know all the whatabouts, right? There are times, because Paul will even say, if a man's not going to work, he shouldn't eat. I mean, like, like he, he, he's not, he, Paul doesn't have this view of, yeah, just keep giving people things forever. If you have the capacity to work, you work. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's on both sides. We're not doing that in Paul right now. We're right here in John going, if you see somebody in need and you can meet it, meet it. The whole of Scripture kind of gives us contours and color and pulls and pushes on all of that. So Paul would have no patience for the, the chronically uh, like needy person. He would go, get to work. Right? Like, get to work. Save money. Don't spend it all. Don't be foolish. Like, he would have different conversations, but John just wants them to know you're going to love. And this comes on the back end of these people who came into your congregation and messed up your understanding of who Jesus was, it made you wonder if you even belong to him. Where are they right now? They're not even here. They're not even here anymore. And so he's, he's reordering for them what they need. Remember who Jesus is. And remember that transformation from death to life. And how that shows up in how you love in the smallest of ways. Because the smallest of ways are actually the most significant of ways. That's, that's, that's what it really is. It's, it's the grocery shopping. It's the lawn mowing. It's the conversation late at night. 
it's watching a, a child for, I mean, I kid you not, for like 20 minutes so that somebody can sit quietly. And I was talking to somebody this week about that very thing. And they said, the most important thing I did this week was watch that kid so that mom could take, get a break. Everything else I did was not as important as that 20-minute window. That is all it takes. I mean, in, in that sense, like, like, to transform how somebody's day goes, that's all it takes at times. Hey, go take a walk. Go take a breather. Go have a conversation. Go grab coffee. Seems like you're, right? Like, seems like things are a little crazy here. Let me do what I can. It's a note when you see somebody and you recognize something going on with them and you just write them a note. Maybe put a gift card in there and go, I don't know what's going on with you. I'm very glad that you showed up. Here's, you know, a blessing. It's just that. Those are the things people remember. Why? How many times has your spouse told you that they love you? You can't count. Hopefully you can't count. If you can, I don't know if that's good or bad. Love is greater shown than spoken. The other part, though, is this. And this is where John ends. So he says we should love as Jesus loves. He says love is better shown than spoken. Let us demonstrate our love. And then he moves to the assurance that love brings. But he actually, even in his passage on the assurance that love brings, he brings up like a sidebar into it. He actually inserts this. And I also want you to know that it's not really about how you feel. He does that, which is really smart of him. Let me explain what I mean. He says, love, our love provides our assurance before God that we belong to him, right? Our love demonstrates our assurance. John knows where someone's heart's going to be going. Have I loved enough? Am I doing enough? Am I serving enough? Have I loved? What is this? He addresses that. 19 through 24. The first thing that he says in verse 19 is that love provides assurance that we belong to God. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Now this goes backwards. By this illustration that we just said, giving the needs to your brothers, by this we will know that we are of truth and reassure our heart before him. We'll know that. But then, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, or you go, man, I don't know if I did enough. I don't know if that was good enough. You have any guilty conscience people in the room? I am absolutely a guilty conscience person. Did I do enough? Did I think enough? Did I serve enough? Did I care enough? Did I love enough? I can remember being as young as eight and having these thoughts. As young as eight. So, right, like, I, you know, I probably should be on some kind of program. But Whenever our heart does condemn us, this, look, at this, look at this line. God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. And so even when we are loving, and even when other brothers and sisters might come alongside us and say, you are so loving and you are so gracious, and you're going, I have a hard time believing that, John responds by going, God's bigger than your heart. And he knows everything. What's more important is that he knows you're loving. You don't have to, I mean, even when you doubt yourself, no. This is why John is not trying to spook this congregation into wondering if they belong to God. He goes, even when you're worried about it, please know God is bigger than that. I've shared the story before. It's in a book of somebody who has Alzheimer's, dementia, and they're starting to forget. 
I was talking to my grandmother who died of dementia some years back. And as it was beginning, and she goes, Hans, one of the hardest things to know is that you're forgetting things. One of the most difficult things to comprehend is that you aren't able to comprehend. And, and she just sat beside me going, this is, she, it's like, she, was, she was cognizant enough to know what was coming. And it was such a hard thing for her because of that. I know where this is going, and it's really hard to know that. Like, can we speed it up or slow it down? I'm not sure which one she needed in that moment. <clears throat> what we all need is resurrection. And he says in this, the woman had dementia, and she was worried. Her worry was this. What, what if I forget God? What if in all my dementia I forget the profession of faith? I forget my walk with God. I forget decades of ministry and care and service. And his husband gave the right words, which was, it's not the concern that you forget God. The issue is, would God forget you? And that answer is no. The answer is no. So God is, even when you do condemn yourself, God is greater than the way you feel in the moment because he knows everything. Then he goes, and if your heart does not condemn you, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask from him, we receive because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is the idea of abiding prayer really is, comes from walking with God, knowing God, and praying things that are on God's heart. And so when we are confident, we pray more boldly, we walk more properly, we love and serve, and we're not boastful or arrogant, but we know we are walking with God, and this is the commandment. He gives it to us. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We love one another. He brings it back to those kind of two-pronged. Who is Jesus and how has that changed me? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Another point back to God. By the spirit he has given us. So even when your weakened heart begins to doubt, recognize that God is bigger than your heart. God is greater and knows everything. And if we're good, we have great confidence. If we actually do go, no, I do belong to the Lord. And I have seasons, you have seasons, where you, like, you're like on cloud nine, everything's good, and it's like every prayer is being answered, like bam, 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 bam. Man, I'm just like, I'm crushing this spiritual life thing. And then <clears throat> trial hits, struggle hits, frustration hits. I was talking to a friend recently who was worried, when's the other shoe going to drop? Things have been so good, I'm just waiting for them to go badly. I'm like, is that the Christian life you know? Is that, is that how God says it? Hey, be really careful when things are good because it's only around the corner. It's going to get real bad. Like you're always prepping yourself for the worst case. So that's not the life I read. That's not the life God puts before us. I trust because the Spirit's in you. If you have a season of plenty or a season of nothing, you're going to be content because you have the Spirit. That's what I think. And if you're being discontent, people will come into your life and say, hey, maybe don't be so discontent. And you go, good point. Like I'm just not... I'm not concerned about the worst case here. So when things are going well, we have great confidence. When they don't go well, it doesn't matter fully because we have the Lord, his heart for us, his awareness of us, and the spirit, which is more powerful than our minds and our hearts. He is more powerful. We believe and we keep the commandments, and the spirit testifies that we belong. The self-sacrificial love of, our, of other brothers and sisters, which is demonstrated through Christ laying down his life for us, for them, 
is an identifying mark, is an identifying mark of those who have crossed from death to life. Though the church will be hated by the world, which is why running to the world for affirmation, for likes, for comments, or anything else is the worst thing you could possibly do to seek affirmation from people who don't belong to the Lord. That is, that is, that is a disaster waiting to happen because it's reasons why 1 John was even written. Hey, I know some people have really messed with you. Let's go back. The world fundamentally in all its systems hates the message of the cross. Now, the church is hated by the world. Our love provides assurance of our hearts before God and demonstrates the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. We have four community groups that are scattered about uh, this, this fall, doing this study, having these conversations on different days, at different times, at different frequencies. A lot of this gets worked out in those spaces or your discipleship group or some other meetup that you have. A lot of this works out. It doesn't actually work out here. It's not like, hey, could everybody please start standing up and talking about all the things they need? Right? It'd be a really long list, <clears throat> really long list. Um, but it's what happens with life in the trenches. So if we're not living life in the trenches with people, then we actually don't begin to see what those needs actually are. We kind of just remove ourselves so we don't know. But here's another thing. If we, if we, being needy people, can't articulate to our brothers and sisters what's really going on, we're actually, we're actually, oh, I want to say this the right way. We might be holding or removing an opportunity for somebody to step in and fill in the gap that exists. When our pride or our arrogance or our lack of looking weak gets in the way of what other people would want to do because of the spirit that is within them to move toward need, to move to care, if we can't articulate to our other brothers and sisters where we actually are, we actually are removing the opportunity for other brothers and sisters to step in and love. You hear me? We go, I just, I'm not going to share that. I don't even want prayer for that. I don't even, like, we're, but like, no, that's actually how, it's like by asking my shirt not to be a shirt. Like, we're, it's built to be a shirt, and Christians are built to love. And so if we withhold or remove or reject what is available for us together, then we're only hurting one another. And also the thing that we hurt is the witness that the world has because their access to God comes essentially through God's people. Their knowledge of God comes through God's people. Their awareness of God comes through God's people. This is the way God built it. I was talking recently to somebody with a Middle Eastern background, and she's like, the amount of stories about dreams of people coming to faith in the Middle East, they dream first, but they don't dream only. The dream moves them to a person, and the person declares truth. God has built it to move from unbelief to believer to belief. Like that's the path. And so if we, people indwelt by God's spirit, struggle in love, remove or hide or store up or shut off or don't, don't provide opportunities to show love, then we're missing opportunities in two ways. Missing opportunities for people to step in and we're missing opportunities 
to declare and demonstrate to a world that needs something that is not the false love the world provides. Because the false love the world provides is something like this. You're going to be okay how, how, how you are. Whatever's going on, whatever you're going through, like, like, like you don't need to change, you don't need to do anything. How you are is fine. The Christian knows, we're not okay. We're not okay. And the worst thing that I can do for you is tell you you're fine. You have a real problem, but the real problem can be remedied through the Lord Jesus. You don't have to be angry or hostile toward that, but it's a real problem. And the world needs a kind of love that's going to say, hey, you have a real need. I had the same need. Let me show you. So before we get enthusiastic about, oh yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll fly across the world to go do a service project. I would encourage us to look across the room to the, to the people who are in the room with us and just go, Lord, how could I love this person? How could I demonstrate care to this person? How could I show to this person? How, like, what do you have here, God? Because that's one of the more fundamentally difficult ones. How do I love all the time? Here's why it's hard. You guys keep showing up. Like, all the time. People show up to your group. They show up to your group when you're tired. They show up to your group when you don't want to. They show up to your group when you're pregnant, like Jordan is. Jordan's pregnant 90% of the group meetings that have ever existed. Like, like you just show up. Like, like, it's, it's a, like, it's just what you get. Like, so, it's like, I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm present. I'm ready. That's what makes love so difficult, is the steady drone of the same people. Man, I could parachute in, love somebody for 20 minutes, and head on out. Like, like, that's, like that's, that's really, that's not unimportant. But in regard to a local church operating together, that's far easier than just being in a group with somebody for years and staring them across the room and seeing all of these parts of their lives and their hearts and them seeing all these parts of your lives and your hearts and going, I don't know how anybody could love me. That's how I feel in our elders' meetings. Not really, Johnny. I don't actually feel that way. But, you know, you just go, golly, when you just start, and they just keep seeing you, it can be incredibly difficult. But we know we can do it because we have his spirit. We know we can do it because he belongs, glorified, worshiped, and honored in his church. We know we can do it because of the provision that God has given us. We know we can do it because of the command God has given us. And we know we can do it because we will never be able to do it more thoroughly than the Lord Jesus, who both died for his disciples and washed their feet. He didn't just do one. Like, hey guys, I'm going to be a jerk to you, but I will die for you, so we're good. He was both. He was present, he was caring, in all of those spaces. So what I have for us today is, what's across the room in your small group, in your conversations, in your discipleship group, in the women's retreat conversations, like what, what's across the room where you go, I could, I could step into that. Hey, I overheard you saying you had this need. I heard you doing this. I heard you have this. You haven't shown me that you have any big concern, but I just wanted to bless you. There are some people at this church who are really good at that. Gifts and kindness, sometimes unspoken, sometimes unknown. You just open up your door and you're like, what's that? Oh, that's just, you know, I, that's something. You know, people, people just... 
They just show. Meal trains without end, freezers full of food you can't eat fast enough. I like just like some some can just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And yes, they might have the giftedness for it, but also as you continue to walk with the Lord, it's not like you get more capacity, but as you become less, that capacity only becomes greater. It's already within you though, because of the Spirit. And that's the hope.